Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. Everybody and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith and Tommy, and we're back. And we've got a great guest for you tonight, Dave Bushmeyer. The man has done a lot. Vocalist for New Day Rising. We're going to get some more of the New Day Rising story. Guitarist of Spread the Disease. Spread the Disease. We bleed from many wounds. Is being released on vinyl for the first time via Hypathral Records. That's exciting. Oh, and Tommy, Dave has got a new band coming up. Aaron Westman from Disembodied. Folks, that's the vocalist of Disembodied. Follow them on Instagram. They've posted a couple clips. This sounds really good. Some melodic heavy metalcore type stuff. I'm into it. The clips they posted sound really good. This is going to be a robust conversation, Tommy, and I am excited for it. This is phenomenal because this is a band that uh, from like 1998 on, I've heard about them so much. And they were brought to us by another Canadian band uh, that was touring with A Life Once Lost. Um, and they were like, you have to hear this band. So I really am excited to talk to Dave of specifically about uh, We Bleed From Many Wounds was one of those records. When I heard it, I was like, fuck, this is something completely new. So uh, I'm so excited. Well, we're excited to talk to Dave, and we're excited to talk to each other. Now, Tommy, you've had quite a weekend. Do you want to share what is going on? Yeah, so uh, without going through the entire timeline, because I will mess it up, uh, Kelly's father uh, passed away. So it's been a kind of uh, from the hospital to the hospice to making arrangements. Um, I've been at home uh, writing lesson plans and doing regular teacher stuff. And folks, if you forget, Kelly is Tommy's wife. She has been on the show. Go check out the episode. And Tommy, continue. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, so she has been up in the Poconos. The unfortunate part is we were up there for the vast majority of his hospice stay, but my daughters both ended up with fevers and vomiting. So we came home to go to urgent care. Um, the unfortunate part is, is that he passed away uh, Sunday morning. And now the game is kind of making arrangements for uh, the memorial service and the luncheon and everything that goes along with that. So on top of that, everyone in my house is sick. <laughs> Are you yeah. sick too? Yeah. So uh, I yeah, actually... I, I heard you get on. You sounded a little... It sounded a little congested or something. Yeah, so I have a sore throat. Uh, luckily enough, I actually don't have the fever or the headache that goes along with everybody else in my house. But uh, yeah, my throat's pretty raw, and my uh, I have like like my nose is running, but it's like clear. It's not like 
like on my nose, like my nose isn't congested, so it's not really that bad. Um, it's totally doable with Dayquil. Uh, like I taught all day today and I was totally fine, but combined with coming home to my house where everybody is sick and everybody is home and there's no mother there <laughs> to take care of them except for my mother who is god love her she's a really nice woman however <laughs> i came into a house where my mother started an like my mom started an argument with the guy who delivers the mail and from, what was that over <sighs> it wasn't even the, it wasn't even the mailman it was a guy dropping off a package from amazon that she thought he was near the car and touching the car. And it was like, mommy, there's no, like, why would he mess with the car? She was like, I don't know. I saw it on the camera on the, the, on the thing. And then I saw him coming up and he didn't even knock on the door. I'm like, yeah, that's how Amazon works. They just drop the package and take a picture. And she's like, well, I don't know that. We need to uh, get your mom up to speed on the ways of the world in 2021. Well, Does that sound like a fun project for you and me? No, (laughs) (laughs) no. So, uh, my week has been pretty hectic and it's, it's Monday. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's going swimmingly, but at the same time, uh, I'm just excited to be here. And yes, Tommy, it sounds like you're getting it from all angles right now. My, my sympathies are with you and Kelly. I hope that you can take care of all this stuff with, you know, a minimal amount of pain and, and suffering, which... Doesn't sound like it's happening so far, but you know. we'll make it work, man. Yeah. My thing is, how are you doing? I haven't. I, I've been, you know, texting with you, but with it's been all business. So I don't know how you are doing. How are you? Well, folks, my only concern has been checking in with Tommy. <laughs> I was texting him each day to make sure he was okay. I was resisting the urge to text business about the show and all that kind of stuff, but there was some exciting things happening, and it seemed like it was okay. So I. I shared some information with him, and I, th- I think that helped occupy your mind a little bit while you were stuck in the hospital, right? A hundred percent. You know, All right, uh, good. It, th- I don't like a- to bother you with show stuff when you're busy with other things. See, I, folks, I have much more time than Tommy. I can sit here and contemplate and correspond and think about all this stuff all day and all night, which I love doing. And I, I try not to burden Tommy with that when he's busy with other things. No, I actually, uh, I was... Uh really excited about the fact that i got to text you about the uh new nike jacket i bought and you were like yes and you were like yo i bought new ray-bans and i was like i've never owned sunglasses (laughs) my entire life because i've always worn hats so i don't need to ever wear a sunglass like i don't have sunglasses but uh you know i texted you a picture and it was like one of those ones uh we're in hospice and it's like everybody's sitting around. It's very home-like if you've never been in hospice before. Lots of couches, lots of like everything's comfy. Um, it's meant to feel like a house. Uh, but I took a picture of like everybody like in the background is like very serious and very somber. And the baby ran up to me with a bib on <laughs> and glasses she found on the floor and she put them on and she was like, daddy, glasses. And I was like, yeah, this is this is why you're here. <laughs> this is because otherwise i would be at my wits end and like it's it's really nice to uh be a part of something like that where i i I keep telling my daughters like this is an opportunity a lot of people uh when someone passes away you know they walk out the door in the morning and say all right i'll see you tonight and that's the last you hear from them like it's it's a beautiful opportunity to be able to have the you know to, to have a moment to sit with someone and say this is why I appreciate you. This is why I love you. 
and this is why I'm going to miss you. That's nice. That's yeah. I didn't even think about the situation of sitting there with your kids having to explain this stuff to them. Three very young children, and you're yeah. all sitting there. But it's nice that everybody is there together as a family, and that you can just be there for each other. It's it's a beautiful thing. I love it. But listen. We're out of time for this first segment, but check back in with us after we speak to Dave. We'll do a nice little wrap-up. We'll talk more about what's going on with Tommy, what's going on with me. And Tommy, there's some big beef going on in the world of music. Oh, no. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. Is it Olivia Rodrigo? <laughs> it is not Olivia Rodrigo, but there's musical beef happening, and it is not Pop Culture Minute, so you'll be happy. This is just a regular conversation, and uh, we're going to dive into it. So... But right now, we're going to talk to Dave Bushmeyer. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Dave Bushmeyer. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. You know, I'm looking through the number of projects you've been involved with over the years. Uh-huh. New Day Rising, Spread the Disease, Die in the Light, Thought Wave, The China White, the Abandoned Hearts Club, Without <laughs> Lungs, Formless Form. The list goes on and on. Dave, how do you find time to sleep, to exist? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, when I was uh, living in Philly and I was a plumber. Well, now, um, hold on a second. You lived in Philly? Yeah, for oh, wow. thir- 13 years. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're going to have to circle back to that, but yeah. please continue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I lived in Philly, um, when I was a plumber there, I would literally get off work, come home, crash on the couch for a little bit, and then get up and turn my computer on and just make music. Or I would go to band practice or, you know, whatever, paint or whatever, whatever other creative thing I was doing. So it's, I don't watch television. I don't do much else other than creative stuff. And I don't, I don't have any kids. So it's just, it just makes sense for me to keep doing what I've always loved to do since I was a, you know, like a, a late teen when I started playing music. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'm kind of the same way. You know, I, no kids, not a relationship currently, and I always feel the need to be creating. I don't watch TV really anymore, so it, everything is just focused on working on the podcast or the occasional band practice or putting together a little video or pulling sound clips. I always want to be doing something that's creative. Um, you know, I really actually think I can't help it. And I'm sure you probably feel somewhat similar. I feel like it just has to come out of me in some way. And it's not, and it's not always the same way. It's, it's, it's not always making music or always, um, writing poetry or always, um, you know, whatever painting or doing my printmaking it's 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 i go in in phases sometimes it's all about music sometimes it's all about art yeah yeah i'm the same way yeah whatever whatever the pursuit is it it has to be something it's it's not like uh oh i'll do this i feel like i have to yeah that's right (laughs) yeah there's, there's like this compulsion that's beyond me well it's nice to know that you feel the same way so dave let's get to know you a little bit where did you grow up um i'm from the toronto area um, originally, but I was born in Chatham, Ontario, which is, I, I would say it's close to Windsor, or, which is basically across from Detroit. Most of my life in Toronto growing up. Oh, okay. And what kind of upbringing was it? Your typical suburban type deal or something else? 
Um, no, it was more of a, it was more of an urban situation. Actually, it was, uh, in a, in a neighborhood called Parkdale, which was back in the eighties was, uh, was a little bit rough and tumble. And what was it like growing up in that environment? Because I grew up in your typical lower middle class suburban area, you know, Catholic school. So there wasn't too much controversy, but I live in Brooklyn now. So I'll be walking around Manhattan and I see the kids growing up there walking around and I'm like, oh my God, like. I can't even imagine what their existence must be like. Uh, I would say that you you learn to have eyes in the back of your head uh, early early on, which is probably originally why I became a punk rocker and had a mohawk, <laughs> you know, just to <laughs> look a little bit scarier than the next guy. Maybe I don't know. You just sort of have the, a, a tough shell or a tough exterior growing up like that. What age would you say you were by the time you had developed that tough exterior? Oh, that was probably 16, 15, 16. Also the age where you're really starting to rebel and and not care what other people think as much as asserting your own identity, you know. That is true. So tell us a little bit about your musical history. Have you always been passionate about music? Is it something that came later? Set the stage for us. Most definitely music came from, definitely came from listening to my mom singing while making food, um, she always listened to the oldie station. So I was always, uh, always listening to Roy Orbison, stuff like that. Um, I would say it came from that probably. Um, speaking of Roy Orbison, I actually had, and I, I love Roy Orbison so much. And that comes from my parents for sure. I actually had an opportunity to see Roy Orbison when <laughs> my parents were like, Hey, do you want to come see Roy Orbison? But because I was such a, um, a, a, a snot back then, just, uh, just, just, uh, you know, I didn't care about anything. I, I was like, why would I want to go and see Roy Orbison? And now, now that I'm almost 50, I'm like, Oh my God, I said no to Roy Orbison. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what did I care? All I listened to was thrash metal back in the late '80s, and 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 punk, and and starting to get into um, hardcore. You know, I didn't care about Roy Orbison, but now, of course, I see the genius in that man's voice. But you know, so Roy Orbison—that was the entryway into music. Um, I don't know if it was Roy Orbison, but it's certainly. I would say that when I think about that time back then, Roy Orbison comes up a lot. So we could say it's sort of a de facto entry point. Yeah, you know, I think that point for me is Bob Seger. It's not the first band I heard, but I just always remember my mom playing that tape. So when I hear Night Moves, I'm like, oh yes, this is it. You know, it's funny. I listen to that now. I'm like, this is the cheesiest thing in the whole world, but there's something really compelling about it. I don't know it's what it so is. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so good. I, don't, I think the older you get, the less you care about I don't know. Is this cheesy or what? Like, it makes me feel good. Yeah, that's right. And that's really honestly what matters. Exactly. Yep. So tell us about discovering punk rock. What was your entryway? Punk, metal, hardcore, all of it? Certainly it has to have been uh, at a very young age, Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath, uh, for sure. Um, Iron Maiden. But I'm, But I'm thinking that my actual entry point into wanting to go and see a lot of bands was um, from these two twins that I used to know who were punk rockers and they made me mixtapes of, of, um, of punk and, and um, hardcore bands like, like the bad brains, dead Kennedy, stuff like that. 
Um, and that was in the late eighties. But before that I had, I had been a huge Motley Crue fan. So Motley Crue was, and going to see them, um, at the sky dome, that was the sort of main real, the real entry point for me that made me go, Oh wow. Like I'm just going to go and see concerts constantly. And then I found out through those twins that there was all kinds of small shows, um, going on. And I would go to these like back alley speakeasy type things in Toronto and see these, these, uh, punk bands like the bunch of fucking goofs and stuff like that. And I would, and I would just be this little kid um, and and the scared little kid amongst all these like really scary um, (laughs) punker guys, you know? (laughs) So yeah, that's actually something I never told my mom is that I would, I would sneak out and go and watch punk rock shows. (laughs) (laughs) When you first saw these shows, were you instantly drawn to it? Were you thinking, this is something that I want to do? This is something that I want to try? Not instantly. It was more a matter of of me feeling really alive as a um, a fan or as a participant in the audience. It was I wasn't really drawn to it. I had no musical talent to speak of. I had, yeah, at that point I had never touched a guitar, so I I had never considered that it was going to be something that I would do probably for the rest of my life at all. It only was around you know a couple of years before I started New Day Rising. And that, that band started in 94. So it was only a couple of years before that where, where I started to pick up my guitar and, or a friend's guitar and start to learn chords and stuff. So tell us, how when you picked up guitar, how did you learn to play? I learned from the Judge record. Oh, really? Yeah, really. It was like, it was just like... I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. I really want to learn how to play this. Um, and that, that was me just learning uh, riffs from the judge record. Honestly, that's how I learned. And that's probably, uh, you know, on some level is probably why I, w- I never really gravitated towards any of the technical metal stuff that I was listening to at the time. Um, to me, it was the, the simplicity in the riffs of, uh, of hardcore was the thing that allowed me that sort of entry point. Yeah. Were you able to just play it by ear? I mean, how, like, could you listen to it and figure it out? I had to have somebody show me basic tabs to even start to comprehend that stuff, and then I could take it from there and run with it. Yeah, all by ear. I I, I don't even know how to read uh, music at all. Oh, wow. I just, I know, I know, uh, you know, a bunch of scales, and, and that's about it, and chords, and that's about it. And I, and anytime I need to know anything new, I will, I will consult my chord books. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us about the beginning of playing in bands and working our way into New Day Rising. Yeah, so I was in um, a couple bands before New Day Rising with some local guys. And those bands, uh, one was called, oh, geez, what was that band? Unheard with a guy with um, a bunch of Mississauga guys. And there was uh, Sun Still Burns, which had the bass player from Grade in it. And Face Down, of course, as well, which had the bass player from Grade. Um, those bands were really short lived for me. Um, they went on without me after, after kicking me out. Um, and then I ended up in art school and I met the drummer, um, from New Day Rising, Ollie, who you guys talked to. And we just sort of hit it off from there. And I was like, Hey man, I want to start a hardcore band. I, I know the singer, which was Chris, Chris Gray. And, um, that's how it happened. So why did you get kicked out of the previous bands? I was just a dick, I guess. I don't know. You know, I just, I was, I was known for shooting my mouth off. Yeah, I understand that. I, I used to, 
I used to be a little too spicy, I think, when I was young with my opinions and how I approached things with people. So I never got kicked out of a band, but I quit them a lot or the band just ended sometimes because of me. Yeah, you know, eventually you realize that um, while it's not necessary to um, believe other people's opinions of things, you sort of you, you at the very least have to give them the opportunity to be heard. And you can't and you're not doing that when you're shooting your mouth off with people. So, you know, I guess that's just growing up. So by the time you had hooked up with Oliver and Adam in New Day Rising, had you calmed down a bit and figured out how to work with people better, or were you still shooting your mouth off sometimes? Oh, I definitely was still shooting my mouth off. I, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. You know, I don't even know how those guys put up with me, to be honest, but it worked out, I guess. <laughs> it did, it did. You had a long-storied career. <laughs> a couple of years, yeah. So tell us about being in that band. I mean, what were some of the dynamics? What were some of your memories of the beginning and getting things going? You know, I would say that that band was, um, was, uh, it was a creative experiment. You know, it was a really good creative experiment. I didn't really know what I was doing on guitar at all. I was just sort of winging it as I went. And there was some value to winging it in, in doing that. I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people. I I learned things really easily and really well. And so I would just honestly look at, at people's fingers. You know, I just look at people's fingers and go, oh, okay, I get it. I got it now. And it would just pick it up like that. So that band was a creative experiment in the sense that we didn't, we, nobody ever really said, this is what we're going to sound like. This is what we're trying for. We were all just uh, piecing it together as we went um, and it was great because it meant that we didn't really try and sound like anyone else. And I don't think we did sound like anyone else. I think that band at the beginning, uh, had a lot of that emo stuff that, um, you know, that, I mean, I was listening to all kinds of music by that point. So to me, it was just a matter of getting my influences either directly or indirectly out into the band and all those guys and Joanne, she played bass um, at the beginning and Joanne um, all had entirely different influences. So when you combine all those things into one, it creates something, you know, I thought was pretty unique at the time. Um, and we, at the same time, we were also putting on shows and stuff. So the, the whole scene sort of, it already existed of course, but it grew around us in a lot of ways um, in, in the suburbs of Toronto. And, and I think that that band never really stopped, um, morphing, um, right from the beginning to the end, it was, it was always a, a fluid element. And even now that we're back together as old guys playing, it's still morphing. There's, um, you know, we've got four, five new songs now, and they all sound slightly different from each other. They all have a different entry point or vibe, it's still morphing. And, you know, I really love that about that band. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit last time when we were talking with Oliver and Adam, you know, it, it was a unique sound. And I think you get a unique sound when you have a bunch of people with different influences as you all did. And even if someone maybe not classically trained on guitar or technically proficient, which you said you weren't like you, maybe you're trying out some new things that sound cool because you're you're experimenting, right? You're you're doing what you can do. The whole thing was one big experiment. It was great, and honestly, it was great. It was like it was like freedom. When I listen to New Day Rising, 
you can hear the precursor of a lot of bands, you know, because it, it has that traditional emo sound. I'm talking like that early to mid 90s emo yep. sound mixed in with the early stages of metalcore. So when, yep. when you when you listen to Memoirs of Cynicism or any of the New Day Rising stuff, you can hear what became all those later bands like your Hopes Fall and your Poison the Well and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really know much about that, but people have said that to me. Um, they've said that it, it is sort of the, uh, the beginnings of the, of the singing and screaming thing, which, you know, in my opinion, turned out to be quite, quite terrible, a, a genre in itself, a subgenre in itself. There's a lot of really bad bands that do that screamy, singy thing. A hundred percent. There's times where I hear those bands and as soon as they start with like the, clean vocal pattern and someone's screaming under it i'm like i'm done I yeah just, I, you know i can't I've heard do this a thousand times yeah, i don't you got it it's very very hard to pull off um and people have just said to me that we were sort of you know at the beginning st- uh, stages of that phenomenon so i would just say that i'm glad we were at the beginning and not the stuff that came after <laughs> that's all <laughs> I, you know what i mean I, I can't really speak to whether we were first second or third in that genre i don't know we didn't even think like that we were just uh we were just uh, trying to do something different. All right, so we're in New Day Rising, right? We're touring, we're playing shows in our thriving local scene. Tell us about signing to Eulogy and starting to put out full lengths. Was there mounting pressure? Was there pressure within the band? What was your plan? Like, what did you want to accomplish? You know, it's funny. There was no pressure at all. Um, Jim from Moo Cow Records had put out a bunch of our records. He basically did everything we had ever wanted him to do. And we were super grateful to him for all of that. And I still am super grateful. But we, I had felt like we were at that point where we wanted to, wanted to try and get things um, a little bit out there, a little bit wider. And so when we, um, when we had Morning Again play, up here in Canada, we talked to John Wiley about it. He was just like, look, I'm starting this whole, this, you know, I have this label now and I'm starting it and I'm going to, you know, make a big thing of it. We were like, you know what, let's jump on board. We were excited for it. So there was no pressure. There was no, there was no big plan. There was just, um, we want to try and get a wider, a wider audience or, um, you know, more opportunities. But there was no plan that, you know, there was no, none of those bands that I was in back then had anything. We didn't have a a plan. We didn't have our stuff together. You know, we were, we were just winging it. There was no, there was no um, rule book for any of it. We were just doing what we love to do. And the label would say, yeah, we're going to do this. And we'd be like, okay, we didn't, we didn't think twice about it. And how was your experience working with Eulogy? Did you get a broader base? Did you have a good experience working with them? You know, we we rarely talked at all, actually. It was literally a matter of sending them everything we needed to send them, and they did what they did, and they sent us our copies, and that was that. There was nothing more. And, you know, they were they were really open. So when Spread the Disease came along, we, you know, he's like, I'll do it. Yep, no problem, I'll do it. And then when, and then around the same time when I was in another band called the China white with, with Chris from new day rising as well, they said the same thing. They're like, we'll do it. And so to, to me, it was just an, an amazing open door for, for all of my projects at the time. So there was no, there was no plan though. You know, it just sort of just happened. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's no internet, there's no rule book. Like you said, I, I guess you're just 
calling people up saying, hey, can we come play your city? And they're like, yes. And then you get in the van and go. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Using maps and stuff. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I forget about that, using maps. I, I think I successfully drove down to Virginia from Pennsylvania once using paper maps. And I'm honestly surprised that I was able to do that. <laughs> Um, you know, they, I, you see all kinds of digital signs up on the road saying, don't, don't drive distractedly, you know, because people are on their phones all the time. Well, we were looking at pieces of paper while on the road. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's crazy to think about, right? I know. <laughs> so you didn't have a plan. Did you think, how old were you during those years in New Day Rising? I was in my early 20s. And did you think, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? I'm going to be a musician. This is it? No. Uh, and in fact, we, we, were of the, we were of the mindset. And I say we, and it was sort of a, an unspoken, there was an unspoken uh, assumption back in the hardcore and hardcore, and I would say more punk-oriented hardcore scenes that, that uh, doing what you love for a living, that was sort of taboo in a way. Um, it was because the idea of making money off of hardcore or off of punk was frowned upon. And we all thought that way. We all really did. Um, so I never once thought I'm going to make money off of this. I'm going to, you know, and of course I, I now regret that. Now I'm like, you know what? I should have been doing what I love. This is, that's absolutely ridiculous for me to not do what I love for, for a living. How ridiculous. So no, I didn't think that. I, uh, I, I just thought it is what it is right now. And I will make my next move later on when that comes up. Yeah, Dave, you know, that's an interesting point you bring up because there was a shift at some point. Bands would get dragged so bad. I would say pre-99, they would yep. get dragged so bad if they went mainstream at all, yep. or if they signed to a major, or if they tried to make that jump, they would lose yep. their entire fan base. People yep. wouldn't listen to them anymore. And at it. some point, people just stopped caring. Uh, at some point, they're like it. Uh, it became normal to go on to for bands to move to move up the ladder to Victory Records, etc. Rev, whatever. So yeah, but when but when we were doing that, it was not normalized. I mean, bands did it, but um, they got hell for it. That's interesting. Yeah. So you're just doing this band and you're thinking, you're not even thinking like, oh, this is a career move. I'm doing this right now. Like what, did you have any kind of plan for what comes after that or? Nope. Wow. That's a very liberating thought. <laughs> not at all. And, and, and yet at the same time, you don't become uh, you don't become an amazing dancer by not taking um, ballet lessons, you know? So <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's liberating to not have a plan, but at the same time, if you don't practice and if you don't, um, you don't have that in your mindset that you are trying to attain some new elevated level in something. You never get good at anything and therefore you never succeed at anything. So it is, I see what you're saying. It is liberating, but at the same time, it's, it's very stultifying to not have some direction. You need to have some direction underlying for sure. So tell us about the, Final days of New Day Rising. We have Memoirs of Cynicism out, right? It's out on Eulogy Records. We're playing shows. I mean, how how does it all come to an end? <laughs> I don't even know. I just, I just, I, I think it just kind of, it just, we just stopped jamming. Um, you know, the same thing happened with the China White. There was no real reason why that stopped. It, you just stopped jamming. There's no, I don't, I actually can't even tell you anything. I can't tell, there wasn't any major rift really. 
Um, there wasn't any major problem that we couldn't overcome. It just stopped. I was in a band where this happened too, and it's it's unprecedented. It's like the mutual breakup. Like I, I remember texting the guitar player and being like, "Are we practicing?" And he's like, "Uh, yeah, I'll get back to you." And he just never did, and we just never played again. But like everything was cool somehow. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I'm in school now. You're in school now, and we're doing this thing, and we're doing this thing. And I started this other band, and then it just sort of like, you know, it just, I don't know. It just sort of happens. You just flow with it, I guess. I like to hear that because in my own personal experience, there's usually a bad end of some sort. Right. Usually my fault because I get resentful and and all <laughs> of that. So to hear that everyone's just like, no, we're doing this now and we're busy and that's it. It's it's, it's refreshing. Uh, yeah, of course. It's way better to leave on some sort of random, you know, random note than than have somebody be yelling at somebody and... Yeah, that's no good. Exactly. So New Day Rising ends. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what happens next. Did you think, oh my God, like how am I going to put a new band together? Or did it come together easily? No, actually I was, while New Day Rising was around, I had already started another band. I was in a band called Carenza at the time. And, uh, Carenza did, you know, a, a seven inch and was on a, a couple compilations and, and, um, that band sort of morphed into, to spread the disease at the same time that new day was around right at the end. Um, and once Carenza morphed, it's the same members. Once Carenza morphed, it stopped being Carenza and morphed into spread the disease and changed our sound. We new day rising had ended spread the disease had, was around, but then also at the same time as spread the disease was around, Chris had started the China White and his bass player, I don't know if he quit or something happened. And I was like, I'll play bass. And the whole time I had been playing guitar and I was like, I'll play bass. And so I played bass for the China White at the same time that I was in spread the disease. So I was in two bands at the end of spread, at the end of New Day Rising. And then when New Day Rising ended, I was also then in two bands at the same time. So yeah, it it wasn't like a oh, what am I going to do now? It just it all just sort of morphed into the next thing. So you're already doing it. I was already doing it, and I had started another band as well back then. I'm not sure of the exact timeline, but I had started. I was playing drums in a band called Acrid, and um, I started. Oh yeah, Ac- I remember that band. Yeah, it was a grindcore band, and yeah. I, and it was with my friend Neil and uh, Jeff, and. Um, I eventually I'd quit that band um, because I am definitely no grindcore drummer, you know. <laughs> well, see, I was just going to say, you play guitar, you play bass, you can do grindcore drums. You're like a punk renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a better slower drummer than that. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in Spread the Disease. Now, this is another pioneering band. We're mixing the black metal sound with some metal and hardcore, right? Yeah. I mean, around the time that when Trevor and I were in New Day Rising, we had we had latched onto the the whole black metal thing that was happening. And that I mean, we listened to that stuff nonstop, uh, black metal. So when it came time to when we were in um, changing from the punk sound of Carenza to spread the disease, we just sort of went, well, you know, let's just sort of pick up where new day rising left off with the, with the sort of metal metal stuff. And we, I don't know who was it, who was, came up with this, the first sort of black metal 
sounding stuff. It was, I think it was Trevor. Trevor was always writing the really great riffs in that band. Um, and it, we just, it just sort of happened. We just sort of developed a, um, a metal core sound that had black metal in it. Now, a lot of people say that we were the first to do that. And I don't, again, I don't really know, but I definitely know that while everyone else was trying to, um, to mine Slayer for riffs, we were not doing that. We were, we were, we were mining black metal bands for riffs for sure. Right. So, yeah. so who were some of the bands that were influencing you? So yeah, so right off the bat, Cradle of Filth, um, Dusk and Her Embrace, straight oh, up, yeah. straight up. That record, even today, I listen to that and go, "Wow, I just wish I wrote a riff like that," you know. Um, and then at the time, Cryptopsy for sure. Yes. Tommy, we're talking your language now. This is yeah. This is like <laughs> that was like my foray into like heavy, like heavier music was that like <clears throat> that first Cradle of Filth album and. Cryptopsy was a, a big one because uh, I forget who it was. Was it Relapse put out uh, a comp and they had put the track from Whisper Supremacy, uh, Cold Hate, Warm Blood. And I was just fascinated by it. I was like, wow, okay. First of all, this guy can play like crazy. Uh, second of all, mixing like that classical style guitar with insanely fast blast beats was just like the most interesting kind of innovative thing I'd heard in a long time. So yeah, that was a huge jumping off point for me. Oh, it's beyond. And you know, actually, so the album that that influenced spread the disease was none so vile actually with the, with the singer before that. And I wasn't a huge fan of the singer of that singer, but as soon as Lord worm, right? Yeah. Lord worm. Yeah. As soon as Mike, <laughs> as soon as Mike DeSalvo got in the band, I was like, Oh my Lord, this is the most evil thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, this was after that was after spread the disease. So we weren't, we weren't influenced by Mike DeSalvo era. We were more influenced by none so vile, but honestly, I got to ha- have a big shout out to Mike DeSalvo. He, he's actually uh, sort of a friend of mine who um, has bought my art and, um, he knows just how much I have been influenced by him. I, um, one time I saw Cryptopsy and I, and I stood up right up front, right beside the drummer, you know, sort of hardcore style at a metal show. And once I ended up out in the pit because I stage dived, I got right up front and this dude was just screaming the way he does right in my face. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the scariest man on the planet. (laughs) I remember, um, it's the cover of none. So vile is, uh, that Caravaggio painting of Jesus. Yeah. It's so it's no, it's that's the head of John the Baptist. Oh, that's what it is. Yep. Yeah. So is that, uh, the whole story was like, uh, Salome was like this, you know, rich princess. And she said, you know, bring me the head of John the Baptist. And it was served to her on a silver platter. Right. And like, there's this beautiful painting, but like literally the cover is just, you know, this close up of her kind of like looking adoringly at this severed head. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like when you're like flipping through records at a record store, I remember when I was younger, like seeing things like, Iron Maiden. I'm like, wow, the, the artwork just jumps out. It's cool. It's yeah. like cartoonish, but scary at the same time. That was one of the first albums that I saw that I went, oh, that's legitimately frightening. <laughs> so very scary. And the sound yeah. is scary. The whole thing, you know, like I, I, I keep saying it over and over again. Cryptopsy is Canada's best metal band. There's no doubt about it. The, just the drumming alone, the drumming alone, the just the intense guitar playing. It's just over. The, it, to me, it was, it, there's very few bands that even begin to even touch that now. Yeah, there's a, and they were a band that also did some really cool stuff where, uh, I think it's on Non So Vile. They have that one track that starts out with a very soft piano. Oh, so, and, so pretty. 
and it and it builds into this unbelievably brutal riff but it's like like there's not there weren't people doing that type of thing like blending that that beautiful like you know the beautiful stuff with right like brutality, brutality. Right. it was just no Tommy, was, you just coined a term butality i love it <laughs> <laughs> that's my i was gonna say that might be that might be a little bit of the day quill talking right now <laughs> see drugs do influence new creations sometimes butality that no Tommy, that it. is that is a coined term that's gonna catch on i can feel there we go <laughs> <laughs> you heard it. it here folks you heard it here first thank you Tommy. Thank the you. exclusive the exclusive <laughs> new coining of vocabulary for i'll see a bunch of kids Kids like what was the uh remember the kids like used to write brutal but they would write b r o o t a l yeah in my head i'm going like who did that first and it just became like this annoying kind of like almost meme-ish kind of thing it's like if i ever see brutality like used like that i'm going to be devastated <laughs> no you you coined it here first we're going to okay. be putting it out there i love it <laughs> yes it's a, that is a tommy creation you're going to be more than famous you're going to be infamous <laughs> uh, yeah that's wasn't that the that was the tagline from uh pink flamingos well, hopefully you're yeah. not infamous like that you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so dave yeah tell us about the shows because in my mind spread the disease is a pioneering band who is experimenting with a sound that was not as prevalent at the time what what was what were the shows like how was the reception so from my perspective, I think of the shows in opposition to the way the shows were for the band Carenza that started, that was that band, essentially. With that band, we were just loudmouths, and we really pissed off a lot of people. So the reception to that band was terrible. Um, <laughs> Give us some examples of things Carenza did to piss people off. Oh, uh, it was just overly political. It was just, it was, it was, is too much. It was just in your face. And for what? And for what? You know, I just think, and for what? There's no point. Um, anyway, so the difference between the Spread the Disease show and a Carenza show is night and day. So when Spread the Disease played, um, we weren't the tightest band in the world. It wasn't really like that, but we wanted to be um, fast, visceral. We wanted We wanted it to be exciting. And so I think that when we played, people were really, really... Um, it felt like people were witnessing something very cool sort of for the first time, you know, we're not the first hardcore band and we're not the first black metal band, but we were, we were sort of doing that, that mixture of things that um, you could tell people were excited for. And I would say the shows were great. Yeah, that's excellent because there was a lot of metal crossover happening. There was your traditional metal core, there was your black metal crossover. There was your melodic metal crossover. There was a lot of different things going on. And I feel like people were generally open to all of it. You know, hey, you know, back then we were playing with emo bands too, right? We were playing with, you know, like it just, there wasn't the big division there is now. And nobody went out of their way to try and pinpoint the way you sounded. Nobody really seemed to care about that. It was, I, I, the nineties was the most creative time for music. It had, it had the most sub genres of music of any other era is honestly the best. It was, it was great. I felt like I could do anything back then. We've had that conversation on here so frequently where you would go to see a show and it would be like a pop punk band, an emo band, 
a death metal band, yeah. a two two hardcore bands, and then like some crossover stuff. You're like, like you don't see that nowadays. Like the bill is completely like it's linear. Like everybody has the same style, and it's like I ah. would yeah, I would say that the only thing like that happening now are those big festivals. It used to be a daily thing, or not daily, but every weekend we used to be like that, especially in Southern Ontario. Here we had Grade, Chokehold, all these bands. They don't, none of them sounded the same, and, and we all played together, and it, and it was it was really, truly uh, a wonderful time, for sure. At the same time, I was in the China White. The China White sounded like Britpop. It was awesome. So here, <laughs> here I am in this black, metal, you know, black and hardcore band, and also in a band a really super melodic band with a fantastic singer and it sounded like like a uh, post rock but brit pop it was amazing it was it, it like there there was no there was no such thing as as being only one thing and if you were then you were probably a crusty punk you know so you said the china white sounded like post rock and brit pop that sounds like a match made in heaven violins yeah it was i mean it was chris gray was the mastermind of all of that he's this he was the singer from new day rising uh he's the mastermind of the china white he played guitar and sang in that his voice is amazing in that on that record um it's him just being an over-the-top rock and roll sort of lead singer god type figure that record to me no i mean you know i mean it sounds cheesy but but when you think of um actual musicianship when you, you can't listen to the China white and think that dude can't sing. Like it's, it's over the top. He sang better than anyone in that whole scene. It was amazing. So, you know, like it, to me, it was like, I just wanted to be a part of good stuff. It didn't matter what, what the sound was. If the sound was uh, new and fresh and cool or, or just, you know, over the top in some other special kind of way then I wanted to do it. So spread the disease. Yeah. The first LP, we bleed from many wounds. Yep. Let's talk about that because we've got a vinyl. It's coming out on vinyl for the first time on Hypathral Records soon. Yes. Um, the test presses are done. The t-shirts are done. Everything is good. The The pre-order is happening right now for that. Um, it came out on Hypethral as well as uh, Listen to Aelin from Norway and Moment of Collapse from Germany. It's sort of three labels. Um pooling resources and getting the records sort of distributed in more places. Um, that was important to me. I wanted to have a European label on board for it. Hypethral is um, a, a label here in Canada. So Chris, who runs Hypethral, has has been amazing to, to work with. He's like, I'll do it. Like straight up, I'll do this record. Um, because he sort of came up, I would say, the one generation after us. Uh, as uh, watching my bands, for example, and he started his own band Titan. Like he, he was really big into the scene is now runs a record label. Um, really great guy. And he's like, I'll do this record. And the reason why the record's coming out is because none of us pushed for it back then. None of us, it came out on CD and we didn't really, we wanted it on vinyl, but we didn't really push for that. So we were like, you know what? We never signed a contract ever. Let's just, you know what? Let's just make it happen. So I have been working hard to make that record happen as well as the, the new day rising record. I'm, I have pushed to make that happen and it's finally happening. Um, that's coming out on protagonist records uh, as well as moment of collapse and, um, Zegama beach. So that's, um, and then also the demo, um, new day rising demo is coming out on 12 inch records as um, 12 inch as well. So I've just, those are my bucket list records. Like this stuff should have come out on vinyl and it never did. You know, maybe eventually I'll try and get the China white on vinyl, but that'll be a hard sell. But anyway, it's to me, it's like, 
this is the time, you know, like uh, vinyl seems to be a big thing now. And I never, I never had the chance to, to fight for it being on vinyl back then. So I'll just do it now while I can. Yes. Now is the time. And it's exciting. You know, I see you guys have new shirts and uh, different records coming out. And how, how does it feel for you, Dave? I mean, did you ever imagine that this stuff would be coming out again and, and get a second breath? No, I never imagined it in uh, sort of actively, but I always harbored this this sort of resentful feeling. And it's my own fault. I don't resent any specific person for it, but I always harbored this resentful feeling that I that I just never pushed hard enough for what I wanted or or even spoke up about it. So so now to me I see it now and I'm like I see my all of my hard work um, I mean, you know, nobody makes any money. It's not like this, it's not like this is money making venture, but to me, it's sort of a matter of legacy, right? Like that record should have come out on vinyl 23 years ago. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It should have, it didn't. So now this is just me making up for it. So a bunch of people have put in a lot of work to make this happen. And the same thing is going to happen with those other records for new day rising and, um, and any future, any future project I do, like Die in the Light and Omen Ostra, all that stuff. So to me, it's like, it's not good enough to just make it um, digital and online. It's not good enough. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, I make a lot of music. Um, I make, I make dance music. I make um, some avant-garde, um, strange, <laughs> some weird stuff. Like I do it a lot and it's all digital. And to me, it's not nearly as, it's not nearly as um, satisfying as when something comes out on a physical format, like, like vinyl. So I'm just, you know, like I, the whole digital phenomenon is just so tired for me that I'm not, I'm not satisfied with it. So now I'm just, I'm going to make sure that whatever I do is going to have some kind of physical release attached to it. I mean, I haven't had a release on vinyl ever, but I imagine the feeling of holding that record and it's your record has to be pretty incredible. You know, uh, it honestly is. Uh, I've done that a lot. I've been I've been a part of all, over I don't know almost thirty physical releases in that way, and it always feels good to get the to get it for the first time. Like, oh man, this is the thing I did. This is you know this is this is a thing. Like I've had I've done a couple CDs, and then once in a while I'll be looking through a box and I'll come across the CD and I'll be like, oh, I did that. Yeah, that's cool. Because I remember being sixteen years old and I was at a friend's house and he had like two tapes out and he was only 17 or 18 years old. And I'm like, that's like the coolest thing ever. It is. I love that. I want to do that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, you know, this is exciting. So we bleed from many wounds. Yep. That vinyl release is coming up. Let's talk about this record a little bit. What are, what are some of the themes? Tell us a little bit about recording it. Set the stage for us. So we recorded um, at Signal to Noise in Toronto with Rob Sanso, which is where New Day Rising had recorded the full length and the China White had recorded the full length. It was just sort of the place to go. There was two-inch tape. They it had a lot of old analog gear there. They made everything sound really, really big. It was it, To us, it was a no-brainer to do that because we had I had been a part of some less-than-stellar recordings, and I and that wasn't something I was interested in doing ever again. So recorded that. We're all young guys. Those guys are younger than me. I was uh, about four or five years older than all those guys. And it was just a matter of pooling our money and um, getting it together. And then the at some point, I believe the label chipped in or something for it, recorded it. It's not. It's a sloppy record. It's not the tightest thing in the world. 
Um, there's some moments on that record where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe we let that slip by. But overall, I really think that when you listen to it from beginning to end, or let's say beginning to three quarters to the end, there's no, there's no denying that we were onto something really, um, like as musicians, we really gelled well together for sure. Like it was just, it was just easy to write riffs like that together. And everybody had a, had a, a super go attitude like, yes. Oh my God, that riff is amazing. Let's do it. And you know, we just, we didn't, our songwriting style was like cryptopsy in, I mean, of course we, we didn't, we didn't have the chops of a band like cryptopsy, but our songwriting style was very similar in that we would just mash all these great parts together and somehow it ended up working really well, you know? Yeah. And I think the loose nature of the playing and, and everything, I think it adds to the charm personally, because let's face it as North Americans, we can't really compete with Europeans as far as technical prowess and playing metal and black metal and all that stuff. So we do the best we can. Um, yeah, I would say that your statement is mostly true. Sure. Unless you're cryptopsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there Ken. are exceptions. <laughs> yes. But no, you're absolutely right. The Europeans always aspired to a, to a higher level for sure. So we've got another new band coming up with Aaron Westman from disembodied Omen Astra. Yep. Um, that, so that band is an international band. He's from Minneapolis. And, um, I'm in Toronto and what that was and is, was me writing an entire record here at home, sequencing the drums, playing guitar, playing bass, recording guitar, recording bass, synthesizers, et cetera, the whole thing. Um, this was me doing this here alone, um, during COVID. And once I had everything done with a mix that I thought sounded really great, I then, uh, I then sent it to Aaron and he was like, he's like, dude, what is this? And I was like, well, what do you think? He's like, this is amazing. And I was, he was like, what do you want to do with this? I was like, I want you to sing on it. That's what I want you to do with this. Because I had always been a huge fan of that dude's voice. His voice is one of the most gigantic things in hardcore. So I was like, this guy is, I mean, he's perfect. And plus I had known him from before as well. You know, they played when they, when I was in Philly and they played, this is hardcore. Um, uh, of course, you know, we were on the, we were both on Moo Cow. We, we both were in the same sort of scenes, but I, I had sort of slept on disembodied for a long time. And then when I finally saw them, I saw them live once back in the nineties, but when I finally saw them at this is hardcore, I was like, geez, Louise, this, this is like the goosebumps. Massive. Yeah. Just what? massive. <laughs> it's so big. Um, and you know, we, we got to become pretty good friends and, um, when, as soon as I said, I want you to sing on it, he was like, yep, I'm in. Now, the thing about him is that he's, um, he's, he's one of these guys who's, he, he sort of heard the quality of the songwriting and everything right from the get go. Um, but he's one of these guys who won't put his name to something. Um, he won't put his name to something unless it's, unless it's super quality. That's just the way he is. Um, and which is, which is great. And w- but what that meant was, um, he sort of heard my recording or my mix and was like, we're going to need somebody else to do this. And I was hesitant to let it go. Um, because I, I've always sort of, um, fashioned myself as somebody who can do anything he puts his uh, mind to. Um, but even I, even I, 
you know, was under the real final realization that I can't do the mix justice the way someone, the way a pro can. I have, I have all kinds of uh, hearing loss in the upper register. So I don't, I don't hear a lot of the, the super sizzle on everything. And so my mix has become too sizzly because I'm overcompensating for the fact that I can't hear it. And that's just from years of music with no, with no protection. And um, so I handed it over and he said, well, we're also going to, we're also going to edit. And he, he got um, Eric who was in the drummer from, um, in Paralysis and another band called Too Pure to Die, he got Eric involved in in on it. And those guys, Eric, um, then took the sequence drums and and um, has been re-recording his drums over top of the sequence drums to have more of a live feel. And they've been editing things to make things a little bit shorter, etc. Finally, it came together. I've been teaching Trevor, who's in New Day Rising with me now. And, um, he was also in spread the disease. I've been teaching Trevor the songs too. So everybody on in Minneapolis and everybody in Toronto, the Toronto area has been sort of working feverishly to make this thing happen so that eventually we can be a live band and, um, have this record come out. Yeah. So right now we're a couple labels are looking at it and it'll, it'll, it'll be coming out on something. I just don't know exactly what yet. There's no signatures on anything, but it's uh, it's heavy as hell. It's, it's the he- probably the heaviest thing I've ever written. So, wow. oh, nice. Yeah, I really love the clips, the small clips that have been posted so far, and that's exciting. So we've got a record coming up. We've got shows coming up. It's happening. You know, this was always this. It was always the 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 goal for me. Once I realized, like you know, like I I can sell art, and I can make art, and I can do my printmaking stuff. Um, and I love that so much, but to me, there's always something missing if I'm not also making music. So, so to have new day rising back together and jamming with those guys every week and to have the Omen Ostra project, which will also be a live band to have all of that sort of happen all right now, while the spread the disease record is being released, while there's plans for the new day rising records to be released, while there's plans for the more die in the light stuff that happened and that has the singer from chokehold. So there's just a lot of stuff that's all happening musically in my life. That's just like, I'm, I'm super blessed, like just, just blessed to be able to have people who have faith in me that want to do stuff with me. Yeah. No shortage of uh, very talented musicians to work with. That's, that's really excellent. You know, I feel actually really grateful that these super, super creative people also think I'm super, super creative and want to do that with me. You know, there's no, there's no greater, um, accolades like, Oh, you're really creative. Well, you want to work with me. Okay. Wow. How great. (laughs) I get that too. You know, like when we talk to people and it's like, Oh, you want to come on this show? Oh, great. Awesome. I thought we were done. I thought last week was the last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the, the way you, the way you guys interview people, it's so, so down to earth. And so, and, and everything is it, there's nothing pretentious about it. And that's what I love about it. And I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to talk to you guys for sure. Well, I'm glad that you do. And thank you for saying that. Yes, we go out of our way to not be pretentious. <laughs> well, I'm sure you don't even try. <laughs> yeah, we make an attempt at it. <laughs> <laughs> we make an attempt, at least. So, Dave, yeah, tell us about how uh, it's going with New Day Rising. I've seen some clips online. We're writing some new music. Now, this reunion has been a long time coming as well. Yeah, so when I was living in Philly, um, about four 
four, five years ago, something like that. When I was in Philly, I, I, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody floated the idea of doing a, a, a new day reunion. And I was like, I'll drive back for that. I'll, I'll, I'll make the eight hour trip um, back for that to jam with you guys. However many times that needs to happen. Um, I was always interested in it. So the four of us without Chris got together many times, we wrote a bunch of songs. Um, and meanwhile, we were trying to get Chris involved. Uh, now Chris uh, was, was in, so I understand why Chris didn't want to get involved. He, he, he has had some problems with, uh, with the hardcore scene, just like I have, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of, Oh, there's a lot of attitude. There's a lot of people with just like crusty personalities in hardcore, right? Um, it really is a thing. I don't understand why this genre of music seems to attract that, but it's a thing. And so he's had problems with it all along, just like everybody in New Day Rising has had problems with that. And so I get why he didn't want to do it. And it's totally legit. And also on top of that, it, my 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 thinking was – I understand why this guy doesn't want to do this. Why does he want to come back to this, to this little band and do this when that man has played stadiums with his other band? He was in a band called the black Maria and they were doing big things, you know, like giant things. So I'm like, of course he doesn't want to come back and play with us. He's the man has, has, has signed autographs and stuff. Like he's, he's (laughs) just done that giant thing. Right. So, wow. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, so, that never so what happened was back then that never that reunion sort of fell apart um and i had said okay look, well look if he's not going to get involved i'm not going to keep driving back for a new band you know like i'm not going to keep driving back 8 hours each way to start an entirely new band so i was like hats off to you if you guys want to um replace me at that time i was playing bass um because trevor had been playing guitar um, and I was like, if you want to find a new bass player and a new singer and start a whole new band, then that's awesome. That's awesome. So they did, they, those guys started, um, so it was three members of new day rising plus a, a couple other guys. And they started a band called pale drone. And, um, so they've, they've been around for ever since then. So years. So then recently I, I had moved back to Toronto right before, um, COVID hit and I have just been sort of getting my stuff together. And recently I posted a photo of the four of us on my Instagram all hanging out. And um, I guess Chris had saw the photo and was like, Oh, it's always better with a singer. And we kind of, you know, we kind of laughed. We were like, yeah, no kidding. We asked you <laughs> to be a part of this. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then it just sort of flowed from there. It was like, Hey, you guys want to get together and jam. And then every one of us were like, yep, that's right. This, we definitely want to do this. So we, we, within the first practice, we, we wrote a song together. It was great. Um, our vibe together has been incredible. The, the star of the show is nobody because everybody brings their A game. Um, it's actually quite amazing. No, not one person is writing all the riffs. Not one person is dictating how things should go. Um, there, there are certainly people in the band, um, who are, um, the de facto leaders of the band. And I would say that probably on some level it's, uh, it's me. Um, and on another level, it's Chris. Chris is the guy who's saying, all right, look, so let's nail this song tonight. Um, let's make sure we get this done tonight. And if you guys want to go over old songs, learn them on your own time. 
learn them while you're at home and then come to the practice already knowing old stuff. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be um, taking practice time to relearn old songs, learn them at home, bring them here. Like he's that guy. Like he's the guy who who sort of cracks the whip and says, this is how things should be done. Let's do it. And we're all like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) I like that. That's what I I would say too. Do your homework, please. (laughs) Yeah. He's that guy. And, and actually, I'll be honest, I really appreciate that guy. Like, I really appreciate that there's somebody like that guy. And he is. And it's amazing. So, um, and then, and, and what are you going to do? Argue with that? No. It's like, no, I'm going to sit, stand here with all of you and learn it now. Like, you can't do that. You'll look like a jerk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I appreciate his professionalism. And you know, the thing about it is, is more importantly, over all of that, over all of the, the awesome music we're writing now and all of that is the fact that we just, all, we all laugh so much and we laugh at ourselves, our former selves. I laugh at my former self all the time because somebody will bring up some goofy story about me. And it's amazing to just sort of be that way with those guys in the, in the same room again. I mean, you know, these guys are the guys who taught me who these guys are responsible for my musical education. So it's really great to be able to come back as a better musician now than I was back then. And to really give so much more of myself to the music now. It's great. I love it. That sounds awesome. And I love when people can come back together older, you know, we drop the egos, we drop all the nonsense, we can work together more. And it's not just about like, like when I was younger, it'd be like, oh, it has to be my idea or my yep. song has to be like this and all this stuff. But now I'm 39 now. I can laugh at stuff that I did and I can be more open to other people's ideas and not just, I don't know, pushing my own agenda. Hey, you know what? I'm learning from the Omen Ostra project that um, I give I give up control of the project. I've, I've put in my effort and I give it over and I give up control and I, and the results are something entirely different than what I ever set out to do. And yet it's not only entirely different, it's entirely better. You know, like it, it, this isn't the Dave show. This is the Omen Ostra show. This is the New Day Rising show. Like this is a matter of letting people shine where they're amazing. You know, that's really how I approach all of it now. And I think that's the way to go. It's hard to give up that control sometimes, but I think the more open we are and the the more teachable we are, the more open we are to collaboration, the the better the project can be. I was told from Aaron right from the get-go, is like, look, we're going to do what we think is best for the project. This has nothing to do with ego. This has nothing to do with any of that stuff. You've already given us such an amazing foundation for everything. We're just going to, we're just going to take it to the top. And we recorded with, uh, with Trevor over on, on the weekend and he just added stuff onto the stuff I've already done that is just so love. I'm going to, I'm going to use the word lovely. It's just so lovely to have someone else's, interpretation of something that I thought was already written in stone and then to completely change the vibe of the whole thing just by adding little flourishes here and there. It's like, Oh my God, this is, I, I, I shouldn't have ever questioned whether or not the people I work with were capable of, of adding to the project, you know, cause at first the ego gets involved and says, Oh, the, oh they're going to ruin it or they're going to do this or that. You know, and it's it's just it's 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 just bad thinking, you know. I think it's a natural first inclination for some people. Like I know I go right there. Like if someone wants to help me out or, or something like that, my first thought is they're trying to fuck me over. Or they're <laughs> they're like something's up, you know, like the defenses come up and then I'm like, no, like come on. Right. You know what? And it's a good and it's a good place to be when you not only 
trust somebody from the front of your brain, but also instinctively trust somebody. And now I'm at that point where I, I just instinctively trust Eric from Paralysis to uh, just do an amazing job on the drums. And he's also mixing the record and the man is a beast. He's incredible. And I trust Aaron to just um, give it all. Um, and I trust, and I trust Trevor and I trust those dudes in new day rising. I mean, um, you already talked to Adam from new day rising. That guy comes up with amazing riffs. Like I, 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 I'm not sure who came up with a lot of riffs back in the day, but now he's the guy is just like a creative beast all on his own. So I'm like, yes, like this is just all so great to be in the room with like all these guys who are just awesome, not only technically really, but also, but also just instinctively coming up with great stuff. Like there, it seems like they all got to be 40 something and went, Oh, we're actually really good at this. And now that we're all together, we can shine together. And that's how I feel about the new new day rising stuff. It's like, like it doesn't it it doesn't sound exactly like anything else we've ever done and if i had to say what it does sound like i would say that it definitely has a faith no more vibe and i love mm. faith no more god i love faith no more so much so to say that we we've come up with something that that has a faith no more vibe that to me that's like there's no there's no higher level for me personally there's a lot of good music coming and i know i'm excited to hear it but first, we got to ask you, now you lived in Philly. <laughs> yeah. That's where we originate from, Tommy and I. Oh, wait, and so you're in New York. Where's Tommy living? Tommy is in uh, Feasterville outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm like four miles outside the city. Wait, where the heck is Feasterville? Bucks County, baby. Oh, up north. Okay, so I don't know anything about Bucks County at all. <laughs> yeah, I always think when people like ask for something that's near my house, Franklin Mills Mall. Of course, of course. Like far northeast. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Franklin Mills Mall and Sesame Place, those are the landmarks. The the northeast really should be a whole other place on its own. It really doesn't even feel like Philadelphia at all, does it? <laughs> no, no. So where in Philly did you live? Um, so I originally lived in Roxborough and Maniunk. Oh, so that's like a different planet. It's not even like Philly, right? It's just a yeah. whole other thing. I consider that like the suburbs almost. Almost, yeah. It's uh really close really close to the um, to um was it um Montgomery County or Montgomery County? Yeah. That's yes. Montgomery County, yeah. Yeah. And then after I lived in South Philly, right by uh, ah. Pat, Pat's and Williams. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I am very familiar. I used to hang out around there a lot. Now, which do you prefer, Pat's or Geno's? <laughs> um. So so when of course when I lived there, I was vegan. So you know, didn't really eat any of that stuff. So neither. So Govinda's. Yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> and now I don't eat any of that either because I'm I'm found out I was gluten intolerant. But yeah, I see. So not so we can't talk cheese steaks and hoagies and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's probably a dead dead conversation with me. How did you like living there? You know, when I when I moved there at first, it was like oh seven when I lived there, something like that. I uh, I really didn't like it at all. I thought people were like um, super crusty. There was a, an attitude that I wasn't used to coming from Canada or Toronto. Um, and then eventually, I guess that attitude sort of got into me and and I no longer saw the attitude that that I saw when I first moved there. Um and also, you know, I was a plumber, so I was working with these like straight up crusty dudes, these and I don't mean, you know, not all plumbers are crusty, but there's there's a um a working class sort of 
get it done, just do it, suck it up, baby kind of attitude that you have in the trades. Uh, and you um, add on the fact that you're from Philadelphia and there's automatically that it's like, Oh my God, Jesus, it's a whole other world for me. So it was a, it was a cultural shift for sure. And then I just ended up getting used to it. And now, now that I no longer live there, um, now I kind of appreciate the forwardness of people from Philadelphia. I find that people in Toronto are a little bit more passive aggressive and people in Philadelphia are very forward. Um, and that forwardness, I, that, that kind of, you know, straight, straightforward honesty is, um, is appreciated now. Yeah. Philly is a tough city for sure. It the is. people are really no nonsense. They're, they're also the most genuine people you'll ever meet. And I love that because I'll have conversations with people now. And yeah, if someone's pulling the passive aggressive, sneaky nonsense with me, I'll just be like, yo, like, be straight with me right now. And people can't handle that. And then I never hear from them again. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Yep. We don't take any nonsense. That's the way it goes. And, and I really actually miss that. I, I, don't mi- I don't miss the fact that people are, are really willing to get into some kind of altercation with people too easily. I don't really yeah. like that all that much. But I miss the, the forwardness of Philly. And, uh, and when you're in South Philly, you get that a lot. And you know, the, there's actually a flip side to all of that. Whenever you go to, um, in any neighborhood in South Philly, all those little neighborhoods, everybody sort of knows everybody there. This is a weird little thing, even though it's Philly, there's a lot of people there, but, um, the, the ladies at, for example, the, um, the, the post office, They'd be like, hey, hon. And, you know, I love, I just love how they call everybody hon. It doesn't matter who you are, what you, you know, what, you know, what gender you are. They're just calling you hon no matter what. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Like, that's what I, I actually miss that sort of almost like a small town element within Philadelphia. So even though Philadelphia has an attitude, when you really get to know people, they all seem like small town people who are like really super friendly once you get to know them. It's great. And I miss it a lot. Yeah, me too. It, the defenses are up big time, but once people crack through, we love you. That's yep, it. That, that's yeah. I, I, that's a good synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I miss that because I'm in New York City now, and there's there's just a lot of people here who think they're a big deal, but they're not. A lot of attitudes, and I really can't stand it. I mean, you know, you just got to go back home every once in a while, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just there visiting Tommy, right? Tommy, we had a great time. A month and a half ago, yeah. It was a, it was so nice. And we were down in the city hanging out with some old friends, you know, shooting the shit, watching people raise chickens in their backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Well, Dave, let's recap. Now, we've got a lot going on, and we want people to check everything out. So first, spread the disease. We bleed from many wounds. Yep. It's coming out on vinyl for the first time through yep. Hypathral Records. So we want to check that out. We can pre-order it now, yes? Yep. All right, so we've got New Day Rising. New Day Rising is back together, writing new music. You've got a New Day Rising vinyl record coming out as well, yes? Um, yeah, it'll be in next year. It's uh, Memoirs of Cynicism, which was also originally on Eulogy. That's coming out next year, 2022, for its 25th year anniversary, actually. That's awesome, yeah. I love that record, by the way. So folks, if you haven't heard it, if you're new to the world of hardcore and other forms of extreme music, check it out. It's a landmark record. <laughs> uh, and of course, the demo is coming out on 12 inch as well. So, two things from New Day Rising plus new music eventually. We'll probably record, you know, in the next six months or so. 
Excellent. And of course, Omen Astra with Aaron Westman from Disembodied. We've heard a few clips. It sounds massive. I'm very excited to hear it. Uh, what's the news on that, Dave? When can we expect it? So, like I said, we're t- we're talking to a couple labels about that, and we're looking at uh, we're going to deliver our end of things. Hopefully, by uh, I would just say the first quarter of next year. So, I'm hoping for January, but we'll see what happens. And then, you know, things are things are slow when it comes to vinyl. So, if you give if we give ourselves a seven month window, then it's looking like the the last, you know, July, August, September of next year for that record to drop. It's a ways out, but you know, time flies actually. Die in the light is still a thing. Uh, that's, uh, Chris Logan from, uh, from chokehold. And he, he sings on the Die in the light material. The Die in the light is, is, cl- is the closest thing that I've ever done. That sounds like it to spread the disease. It's sort of the same black metal thing. Um, I do everything I've, it's all, it's a recording project. I, um, sequence the drums um, play guitar, play bass, etc. Did, did all the mixes on the 10 inch record I, I put out and, uh, Chris, uh, uh, does vocals. It's like the most vicious stuff he's ever done. So great. Um, and we have new stuff, but he has not been able to record. Um, so there's, so there's no real plans for that yet. Uh, for that record, so it's just it seems a little bit absurd to even talk about it, but I do have say future future plans for dying the light stuff as well. But I'm just right now I'm just concentrating on um, on New Day Rising um, because it it, it is uh, um, very dear to my heart, and then of course in the in the near future the Omanostra stuff, which you know won't. We that band won't play very often, but I'm hoping we'll do. We'll be able to play some festivals and some things in the in the future eventually as well too. That's excellent. And Dave, uh, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and speaking with us tonight. You are you are a factory of music. You've created so much great stuff, and there's a lot more coming that we're excited to hear. And uh, it's just been a real pleasure speaking with you. So I want to say thank you. No, honestly, thank you. Uh, it uh, it means a lot to me that that um, you have such passion for what you do that it, you allow people like me or others to um, be able to talk about themselves. It's a strange thing to be able to talk about yourself with a straight face. I've never really been all that good at it. So just talking, you know, just talking in this really um, simple flow of a way is uh, it's it works for me. And I just thank you. Thank you very much. There you have it, folks. Dave Bushmeyer. The man is a talented man. He's doing a lot of bands. He's got a lot of great music coming up, and he was an absolute pleasure to talk to. Tommy, he's doing what I want to do. Like, the guy sat in his house and recorded a whole album, and he's got Aaron from Disembodied singing on it. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to sit in my house and create lo-fi hip-hop music to study and relax to albums and post-rock albums and do all that stuff and dave is doing it yeah that's a real driven type of person though like he doesn't watch television he doesn't play video games like he just his whole expressive part of his life is just that creative outlet so i i I 
love to sit down and watch TV for an hour or two. <laughs> See, I don't. I, I watch Twitch, and I play video games like three nights a week. So if I phase that out, I could start recording classic albums like Dave is now. Yeah. I, I, it's entirely possible. I think that's just one of the things of like, you're really good at that. That way, like you, you manage your time really well. So like just diverting time away from other things and, and focusing on learning that process of recording is just, it's I, my thing is, is it, it's so time consuming. It is. But, uh, it was great talking to Dave. I was listening to spread the disease again earlier today. That, that holds up. It's it good does. stuff, man. It's heavy. It's, it's, it, there's not a lot of stuff like it. It's, it's good. I remember when that I was first introduced to spread the disease was uh, someone said to me, it's a better recorded creationist crucifixion. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's actually not that far off. <laughs> creationist crucifixion is creationist crucifixion. There's no, yeah, there's no imitators. Like they're it, but still the, the recording's a little, you know, you can look past it because the songs are so classic, but it's like, oh. I think there was also part, that was part of the appeal with them. Like I, I, I just I don't know. Like I, I did get annoyed listening to those CDs sometimes, though, because like <laughs> especially like not Automata. What's the the one before that? It's like every other track is just like noise. Yeah, and it's like uh, I gotta skip all the way to track fourteen to listen to something. <laughs> like Jesus, can I just can't you just? Yeah, it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one. It's so grainy. And old looking, it's like scarier. It's like um, it's like some snuff film that you found. Creationist Crucifixion is like, it's this weird tinny sounding album, and you're like, oh, what is this? That's a really good. That's a good comparison. Is like the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I I remember watching that the first time, and the story was that uh at least when I you know I had a friend growing up that his dad owned a video store, and we were allowed to like get whatever we wanted for like his birthday. Like, oh, let's run a bunch of movies, and we got that one, and they were like, yo this is a real movie. Like they found this footage. Like this isn't like a, th- like this is like uh like, you know, I'm like in my head, I'm going, no, it's not <laughs> like, even watching it as a kid. I'm like, there's dolly shots in here. What the fuck are they talking about? Like, yeah. You think like those movies, they used to do that a lot with horror movies. They would say, Oh, it's real. And you would believe it. Or I would, because I believed everything as a kid. Yeah. And then, then you watch it and go, none of this is real. However, we have enough real gore out there to, you know, if you want to watch real gore stuff, <laughs> there's just enormous amounts of it. Like, like and uh, there was a, we, I forget who we talked about this with, but there was a series of movies uh, called the trilogy. And uh, it was like these guys from out in Pittsburgh that did it. And they did one of those kind of found footage movies where, uh, you know, it was like a lot of like torture and hurting people kind of thing. And it was like all done in this basement. That one I saw and I went, I don't know if this is real or not. <laughs> like I really, I, I, that one made me like a little uneasy watching it. I was like, is this, is this illegal? <laughs> I have no desire to watch anything like, I can't handle things anymore. I'm too squeamish, but folks, Tommy is sick again. Yeah. He's falling apart. Now he, when we started recording this, he just had a sore throat. He's got full blown strep throat now. Yeah, so it, I, so I, we're gonna rush through the show to get him out of here. I lucked out though because I haven't been sick since uh, the last week of school, so I hadn't been sick since June. So I, I really had a good run there of not being, you know, <laughs> two months feel- is a good run. Of not having like something being sick, yeah. I mean, I don't have a great immune system, and I work with kids, so oh yeah, I guess so. You get it a lot, yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what? 
Now, in the first segment, we teased Tommy. Remember, there's big rock and roll beef going on right now? Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually went to go look this up, and I started reading it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it on the show. Because <laughs> I, I got annoyed. I, I don't. There's something annoying about that guy's face that machine gun Kelly that he just seems like a dick. And I, I yeah, I, I actually liked him before I heard this whole thing. Cause I like that. My bloody Valentine song, but machine gun Kelly has beef with slipknot. Now. I don't know how it started. I don't know if slipknot said something backstage to him at riot fest. I don't know if it was this interview where slipknot talked about newer bands and maybe machine gun Kelly got offended by that. I don't know, but I have the clip here, Tommy here, is what Machine Gun Kelly said about Slipknot on stage at Riot Fest. Hey, you want to know what I'm really happy that I'm not doing? Being 50 years old, 50 years old, wearing a fucking weird mask on a fucking stage, fucking shit. Ooh, yikes! Yeah, this is this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, because he is not, he is not uh, ensconced and respected enough in the rock world to be coming at bands like that. He's not Liam Gallagher. He's not Axl Rose. You know what I'm saying? You you got to be a certain kind of person to pull that off. Yeah, I was gonna say this would be like you know uh, late '70s someone being like, well, at least I'm not fucking wearing makeup on stage like those dudes from Kiss. Like, uh, really? They're Kiss. You know that? Remember that part where they were like, awesome. So. <laughs> and uh, it was funny, I was on Twitter looking at all the controversy, and the guy from Eve 6 weighed in, of course, because he's all over Twitter, and Code Orange retweeted the article, and they said, this ain't the road you want to travel, brother, and then tagged Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> Hilarious. So, I don't know, man. I don't know what it's all about, but it's just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. I'm not, like, into it. I just think it's kind of lame. I'm, and I'm not, like, a huge Slipknot fan, but I just... I don't know. I just don't feel good about it. I just, I go back. He seems like a dork and I don't, you know, like I don't, my thing is just like with going after like somebody, especially a band that's, you know, they just recently lost their drummer and, you know, yeah. it, 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 there's a lot of tragedy surrounding that band in general. And it's like that, and they are kind of like an Say ice- what you will about Slipknot. They, they have a legacy. They have carved out their niche. They are well-respected in their yeah. genre. And they're like an ICP kind of thing. Like they have a, like their fans are rabid. Like they oh, are. Yeah. So if there's anybody to piss off, it's not them. Like that's like getting <laughs> Taylor Swift mad. Like, you know, those, those, the people that are like Taylor Swift fans, like when people would say anything about her, like they're like, they would just pounce on this part, like whoever it was. Like, so uh, yeah, wrong, wrong group to go after it for sure. I think things are pivoting back to rock, Tommy. I, I think I see it happening because pop stars are picking up rock and roll now. And it's like this little toy that they found and, they're like, oh, I'm gonna do this now. Like, on the How- on the Howard Stern show, I heard Miley Cyrus teaming up with Metallica and Elton John, and they were playing songs. Now that was pretty cool, actually. Miley Cyrus sang "Nothing Else Matters" with Metallica. She's got a great voice. It's, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it sounded good. She was duetting with James Hetfield. I just don't like that. It's like pop stars are like, oh, we're gonna do rock, and and if they pick it up, and that's what brings rock back. I'm, a, I don't know. I'm a it feels kind of gross. It also, I'm skeptical of it because it is. It can be one of these things that it's it's a it's a trend for a little bit and then it's gone. Yeah, 
I got in the car the other day. My wife had been using my car and I got in it and she had, uh, the, you know, like the pop radio station on. And I was like, oh, uh, it, it was the Olivia Rodrigo. And I was like, that sounds exactly like that Paramore song that was like their big hit. I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but I went and searched it up. They actually uh, had to give whoever wrote uh, the Paramore song uh, writing credits for the Olivia Rodrigo song because <laughs> it's like it's the same chord progression. It, it's like it, I don't know how that gets litigated, but damn, it's like you can play them over top. People have done like the YouTube mashups, like where they play them over top of each other. It's the fucking same song. It's really like, ugh. All right, well, you just took somebody's thing and repurposed it because, you know, you're kind of the new thing. Like that doesn't seem fair because there's you're, nothing new under the sun. There certainly isn't. Tommy, let's close by you telling the hilarious story of your mom listening to quote unquote our podcast. Oh, so uh, <laughs> wait, this is the where she was listening to Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she listened to what she thought was our podcast and she was like excited because she goes, Oh, I know that girl. And I was like, the hell are you talking about the girl? <laughs> and she's like the lady that hosts Jeopardy. My mom's a huge Jeopardy fan. So she was like, Oh, the lady that hosts Jeopardy was talking. To Anthony I was like, no, that's, that's not our podcast. And she said, <laughs> she's like, Oh, well I looked at it and she goes, I, I was listening to it. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of people listen to that. It was like 29,000 views or something like that. And I thought, wow, that's great for something that you guys just do out of the basement. And what a hobby. That's real fun. <laughs> it's like, it's not fucking what we did. Like, that's not even us. I wasn't even on there. Like, did you not notice that I wasn't there? And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, she has no idea what it is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when we called Gary that one time. We're like, we're on the show. And he's like, what show? <laughs> like, it, it kind of drives that dagger of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Shit. Jesus. All right. So your mom listened to my MB Alex podcast with Anthony Green. And she thought it was us somehow. Yeah, I just don't tell anybody to listen to it. Like people, I guess people think I want them to listen to it and they'll always be like, oh, I still have to check that out. And I'm like, no, you don't have to. I, I don't listen to podcasts. I, well, I listen to one, but only sometimes. So I, it's not it's not something I expect people to listen to, quite honestly. You know? No. Like we, ha- we, have, we have our fans. We have the people that listen and they're not necessarily like my friends that I talk to every day. They're they're just people out there in the world. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, I had to listen to a podcast for work once and I remember listening to it and I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." And I that I, maybe it was that night or the night after that I was watching a show and they made a joke about podcasts and <laughs> the person was like, you know, they're like they do a really clumsy segue in the podcast and they're like, and this is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. They put a thing at the bottom of the screen. It was like, people vastly underestimate how many people actually have hiring abilities that are podcast listeners. (laughs) (laughs) People listening to podcasts aren't doing the hiring at your company. Trust me. (laughs) You know, another thing I do is I listen to a podcast and I'm critiquing it too much. Because I'm like, oh, I can't believe they left this in. I would have taken that out. That segue wasn't good. So I'm, I'm like producing it too much. I actually, I, I was thinking about like just production in general. And because I was really sick today and I just wanted to put something on to like watch. And I put on uh, Hulu. And the first thing that came up was watch Grown Ups. And it said like, the people that were listed. And it was Adam Sandler and Colin Quinn. And I was like, fuck, I, I've never seen that movie. And Colin Quinn's in it. That should be funny. 
oh my god, that movie's terrible. <laughs> and it, it's cut like a sitcom. Like every time there's like something poignant that happens, they go to a black screen and then go to the next scene. I was like, Ooh. this is like a series of vignettes. This is horrific. Like I, whoever edited that movie should be 100% not allowed to edit anything ever again. Like it was really bad. I was like, even as like someone who's a, like, I don't know movies well. Like I, every time they did that, I was like, ew. Like it, just, <laughs> it, it was just so dumb. Like what a terrible way to do that. Yeah. If you're not even into film production and you're noticing that and not liking it, that's, it's probably pretty bad. Yeah, it like jumped. It was like glaring. It jumped out at me. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Vadim. Vadim listens to every episode of our podcast, yeah. and that's why we love him. He's a close friend that listens every week. Oh, and Vadim, uh, I'm going to watch the thing that you sent me that Vadim is producing a couple of videos about math, and he sent me one to kind of give him some feedback on, and I will watch it tomorrow and give you there some you feedback. There you go. Vadim, Tommy's expert math critique is coming no it's and not. i will see vadim at furnace fest this week i'm yeah. going and yeah. folks strap in because we'll have a big furnace fest recap for you there's going to be some special stuff planned i hope uh it's either going to be next week's episode or the one after i don't know our schedule's all over the place right now so we don't really know what's going on but it's coming it's coming get ready it's going to be a lot of fun tommy I'm excited for I'm excited just to see what you come back with. <laughs> it's kind of like sending somebody to like, you know, to the supermarket with 50 bucks and being like, "Get something to eat and then let's see what they come back with." <laughs> I I hope it's something. I hope it's something. But uh yeah, so listen, we will need to get Tommy to bed. He's on all kinds of cold medicines. He's sick. <laughs> I feel bad having him up past his bedtime cuz he gets up super early and he's sick. But Tommy, listen, I appreciate you and I thank you for <laughs> soldiering through to get this done because we got to do this every week no matter what of course i appreciate i appreciate you being so like kind with all of it because there's a lot of times where like <laughs> you're like tell the story about the podcast and your mom listens to him like i don't even know what you're talking about <laughs> i'm like my mom hates it i don't know like i don't know what we're talking about now it's all right i don't know what we're talking about no i do i do but listen we got it done we're gonna get you to sleep and folks a quick reminder Follow us on socials, The NE Scene. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Leave a review. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We need to hear from more of you. We love you. And we're back next week with another new guest. Ooh, I'm going to tickle you a little bit. I'm going to tease you and tell you that we have another new guest coming next week. Are you excited, Tommy? I'm ecstatic right now. Yeah, me too. So Tommy's going to drift into NyQuil bliss. <laughs> and I, I'm going to figure out if it's too late to eat dinner at 10.45 p.m. I don't know what I'm doing. So I, I had a mixed up day. But listen, more on that later. Uh, Dave, thanks again for coming on the show. Great conversation. We love you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Yay!